This is Joey Sharamonti from Koyo, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And in the guest host chair today, I've got Joe Grillo back on the show. Joe, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Keith. How are you? I'm doing great, Joe. You know, it's great to have you back here, Joe. Not that we need to, but let's give the people a rundown of your extensive resume. Now, you correct me if I have any of this wrong. You are frontman and guitar player of the legendary band Garrison, yes? Correct. All right, and you are frontman of legendary Iodine Recordings band Her Head's on Fire, yes? Correct. And you are frontman of legendary other band Judas Knife, or is it The Judas Knife? It's just Judas Knife, and I'm a, I play bass and guitar in that band as well. You play bass mm-hmm. and guitar? You really do it all? Well, I don't play cello. <laughs> okay. And you are co-frontman of Iodine Recordings, too, yes? Uh, that's the Casey show. I, I just loom around in the back. I see. So you're like merch guy or something? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm not I'm like the roadie. I'm the roadie merch I guy that you. actually doesn't do any of the work. <laughs> Casey does it all. Well, Joe, it's great to have you back. You know, it's always good to talk to you. And listen, everybody, we've got a very exciting episode of the show for you to kick off this wonderful month of September. We have Ian Shelton of Military Gun and Regional Justice Center. Now, Military Gun just very recently got on my radar. I heard them, and I liked them, and I saw their recent gig in New York City at Rockefeller Plaza, which was a great show. Listen, you'll hear about all of that. You'll hear all about Military Gun. You'll hear all about Regional Justice Center. Ian's doing a lot of great stuff. And it's a great conversation. Tell them, Joe. Tell them. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, I, I think that I really, really enjoy his enthusiasm. You know, it's it's nice to hear somebody um, speak about music um, and the camaraderie of playing music and the people he chooses to play music with, uh, with so much positivity um, and enthusiasm. He's just excited about it, and which makes me excited about it. It's great. That conversation is coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Shirts. We have shirts for sale at Deathwish Inc. Pick one up. It's a great way to support the show. Reviews. Give us five star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can write a review on Apple Podcasts and you can leave feedback on Spotify. Let us know how we're doing. Also, you can always email me at New Scene Pod at iodinerecords.com. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. The new LP from Horsewhip, Consume and Burn, is available now for pre-order. That's out November 10th and features Jeff Howe from Reversal of Man and Combat Wounded Veteran. I've got an episode coming up with Jeff, and that's really good. So pre-order the record and keep an eye out for that episode of The New Scene. Garrison and Orange Island are playing a gig Friday, October 6th at the Middle East Downstairs in Boston. Get tickets before it sells out. 
Joe will tell us more about that in segment three. Also, pre-order the new 7-inch from Garrison and Orange Island, songs from a central Massachusetts mill town. That's out October 6th. The Iron Roses self-titled LP is available now for pre-order. One Line Drawing has UK tour dates kicking off November 2nd in Brighton. Go see Jonah if you have the chance. And Rebuilder is on tour now in support of their new LP, Local Support. Sign up for the Iodine email list. You'll find out about everything first. For more information, head to the Iodine Instagram at Iodine Recordings or to the Iodine website at iodinerecordings.com. Also, say hello to our sponsor for the month of September, Triumph Printing Company. Triumph Printing Company was started in 2005 by Matt Reed. With nearly 19 years of service, Triumph is operated and run solely by Matt. Triumph offers graphic design and screen printing services, and they have printed for bands like Bane, Be Well, Death Before Dishonor, and End It. They've also printed for national brands like Grillo's Pickles, radio personalities like Sam Roberts, from Sirius Satellite Radio's Jim and Sam, NWWE's Peter Rosenberg. And how about this? Triumph Printing Company has done a lot of printing for Iodine Recordings and the new scene. Those wonderful new scene shirts that you have seen and maybe some of you have worn. Those were printed by Triumph Printing Company. So listen, if you're in a band, and I know a lot of you are, and you need shirts printed, you need merch printed, you need graphic design work done, hit up Triumph Printing Company and catch this. You can get 10% off your total order when you email triumphprintingco at gmail.com and mention the new scene. That's triumphprintingco at gmail.com. Mention the new scene podcast and you will get 10% off your order. And that's for new customers who mention the new scene. Okay, so Joe, let's talk music recommendations. What have you been listening to lately? Lay it on us. Oh, man. Um... I've been listening to a psych rock band from Germany called Acid Rooster, who sound exactly like you would imagine a band named Acid Rooster to sound. <laughs> and they're phenomenal. And I really, really like them. There's another band um, from Brazil called Firefriend, sort of more trancey psych rock. I, I like a lot of stuff that is somewhat cinematic and droney and repetitive. Um, you know, I still, I still like my heavy guitar rock when I'm like, when I'm like cycling or or running. But, um, I think that like when I'm just like working or sort of kind of in the zone of getting things done, I like to sort of trance out to a lot of different, different tones. I feel you on that. You know what I listen to when I'm working, Joe? What? I listen to Silent Hill music, like the video game. Like the staticky thing? There's all of this Silent Hill music that people make and put on YouTube. It's like slowed down, reverby uh, remixes of music from the game. Sometimes they add rainfall sound effects. Sometimes it's just light ambient stuff. And there's so much of it. And mm-hmm. it's all so good. I have like 10 bookmarks of stuff That's that great. I listen to. I, I So if, if you're out there uh, and you're interested in that sort of thing, just search for it on YouTube. There's a lot of great stuff there. You know what I, I really enjoyed the other night is um I was trying to talk to my kids about like basic percussion. And so we were talking about songs that have 
finger snaps in them instead of snare drums. Um, you know, and there's like, um, we were just going back to like, sort of like songs that were stripped down and we listened to, um, Peggy Lee's fever. And that whole song is just, it's an upright bass drums and her voice. And it's so cool. And I just put that on like Pandora radio and then it started cycling me through like Billie Holiday, um, and Nina Simone and just like so many beautiful female fronted bands where the where the voice is just so front and center and the music is just really i mean in the truest sense of the word supports it and they're just it's just so moody and cool and the tempos are so great and the chord changes are so dark and minor really beautiful stuff i got i got very excited about that i love stuff like that when you know it just pulled off really well and it really touches you minimalist stuff you know like Jane says is a good example. It's just acoustic guitar, as far as I can tell, and just yeah. those two chords. Yeah, GD, yeah. GD, over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Owen, Owen is great. He'll do like uh, it'll just be like acoustic guitar and maybe one piano line and uh, maybe one or two other elements. And that music really gets me. I love that kind of stuff. It's really cool when you hear something. The repetitive nature of something that even if it's repetitive, it starts to like sink in. Like um, yeah. the Red House Painters. Um, I think it's on songs for a blue guitar. It's the song that's like, have you forgotten how to love yourself? And he keeps saying over and over again, it's like an eight minute song. Like, have you forgotten how to love yourself? And like the first time you're like, oh, that's cute. And then the second or third time you're like, all right, dude, I get it. And then like, when you're a few minutes into this, you're just weeping. You're like, yeah, yeah. I actually have fucking forgotten how to love myself. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And there's something about that repetitive nature of melody and rhythm together that can be so um, evocative. Well, besides uh, Silent Hill ambient remixes, I've been listening <laughs> to New Bermuda by Deaf Heaven, their second full length, the okay. 2015 one. Okay. That one's really good. And uh, I'm still stuck on uh, Another Language by This Will Destroy You. That's their 2014 full length that I'm really feeling that one right now. That's great. Yeah. So listen, if you haven't, if you somehow have not heard those records, I recommend that you do so right now. Turn off my show and go, <laughs> sli- all right, wait, don't do that. But when the show's over, go check them out. All right. So listen, check back in with me and Joe in segment three. Joe's got a lot going on. There's some exciting Garrison shows coming up, right, that's Joe? True, hmm? That's true, man. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how we're doing. We're going to talk about everything. But right now... We are going to speak to Ian Shelton of Regional Justice Center and Military Gun. Enjoy.
All right. We are here now with Ian Shelton. Ian, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, Ian, it's great to have you here. You know, you're up to a lot these days. Regional Justice Center, Military Gun is doing great things and just put out an excellent new record, Life Under the Gun. And uh, we're going to talk about all of that, Ian. But first, I have to ask you this. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. We're currently in the studio <laughs> making some songs right now. So for me, it's uh, those are the best days ever. Like uh, it, It's what makes most sense to my brain is like you start the day with nothing. And then when you leave, you have a song to listen to. And yeah, I'm excited for my drive home. So I have a song to listen to. That's awesome. Where's the studio in LA? We're working with... Uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're actually working at a friend's house currently... Um, our friend Bobby, who who also does a project called the Haxon Cloak. This is military gun material we're working on? Yes. Yeah. We always are working on something. That's awesome. You know, I just caught uh, your gig in New York City earlier this week. Oh, wow. I wish we would have uh, met up and said hello. That was uh, a weird one for us, as I'm sure that you, you know, as I stated on the mic at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, everybody had the same feeling now, but... What a trip. Like, go, first of all, going into Midtown Manhattan for a gig is weird. But then going into a high rise and taking an elevator up to a ballroom with a chandelier. To this just, 60, uh, 65th floor, to be specific. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, it was surreal. So for us, it was a weird day because uh, our drummer, uh, his flight never came. Like, he ended up never leaving Los Angeles. Uh, it got infinitely delayed. So our guitar player, Waylon had to play drums for the set and then we had to play without a guitar player. So uh, without we usually play with two guitar players, played with one. Uh so it was a it was a nerve-wracking evening, but I, I feel like we pulled it off. You definitely did. I couldn't even tell that the regular drummer was there until you said something. And you know what? I think that just goes to show how pro everybody is and how ready you are to uh react in such a situation. Yeah, we don't, we, I don't like keeping uh people who aren't adaptable around, you know? Like it it life is so chaotic that it's important that everyone just be ready at all times for everything to fail and then we all have to come up with a solution. So hope for the best, plan for the worst. Exactly. Yeah, do. yeah. So at what point did you figure out that your drummer was not going to make it? Like how soon before the show were we talking? So I woke up and someone was like, Vince has to be close by, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm assuming he like texted at 3 a.m. New York time saying, no, he's texted at 6, 3 a.m. West Coast time being like, I just like our, t our flight timed out. We're getting off of our flight. He had a red eye. And, uh, and then we never got any other updates. So we were like, well, surely he was on a flight that whole time. That's why we got no updates. And then we texted him, we're like, Vince, where are you at? And he's like, I'm waiting to try to get on a flight. And it was noon in New York. So Oof. so we were like, oh, shit, we're not playing a show tonight, huh? Like, that, that's, that's what's going to happen. And uh, yeah, then slowly I came to terms with the idea that Waylon would drum. He, which he, he's, he played two shows on drums for us before. He's played every instrument in the band at this point. Um, and I'm just waiting for the day where he gets to fill in for me for vocals. I'm really excited for that. <laughs> uh, we look similar enough. I just don't know if his voice would sound similar. Um, but yeah, it, and so it was like noon where we were starting to cope with the reality that of what we were going to face for the rest of the day. Yeah, because when you said, 
you know, the regular drummer wasn't there and you had to fill in. My mind was completely blown. I was like, who is the fill-in drummer? How long did he have to learn the set? So it sounds like, you know, uh, Wayland has filled in for drums before, so he was ready. Yeah, I mean, it was a long time ago, and we played a lot of songs that he never did the first time. So, so uh, yeah, he, he just he crushed it. I mean, couldn't be more proud of uh, who I have in the band. You know, the fact that that is a possibility is a thing that I think almost no other bands could say, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what you have to do, right? Because this is a, I don't want to say a once in a lifetime shot, but we're in New York City. We're playing a great show with Soft Kill, who are awesome. We we got to get it done. We got to reach the people who are there, right? What well, was the type of thing where it didn't even dawn on us how special it was? Like, you know, we knew that we were playing at Rockefeller Center. Um, and and that was a crazy idea, you know? But But then when it's like, oh no, it's the 65th floor, it's it, you know, like not only that, Anthony Bourdain worked that very room uh, before he was uh, successful. You know, like it was like that, like the Clintons throw parties in that room. Like, like so many people with blood on their hands have have uh, specifically thrown parties there. So it's just like to be among or maybe potentially the most aggressive band to ever play in that room. I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah, as we were leaving, you know, I thought the same thing. It didn't really hit me and how cool it was until I got there. But then as we were leaving, I said to my friend, I was like, isn't it weird that like John Belushi and Chris Farley and a bunch of other people like did Coke in this building? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) On the reg too. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you guys pulled it off really awesome show. So that was my first time seeing you. So great stuff. Yeah. Thank, thank you. When did you get back? Uh, the next day. Ah, yeah. The next day. And then it was straight into, making music again in this been in the studio every day this week making making a song a day so it sounds like based on what i've researched about you ian that you're just constantly working on stuff is that accurate yeah i have a general uh illness of some sort i don't know what you'd call it but yeah it's uh an inability to to sit still and uh it results in a lot of things getting made and 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 they don't always get made like the thing is I make things with no intention that it ever be released. Like it's great if it does, but I'm ultimately willing to try so many experiments and and just see what happens because uh, I can fail and nobody ever has to hear it, you know. And uh, that's why our record, I think, is so well received. Is you know, there's so many songs we made that didn't make the cut, and but we learned lessons on those songs that then we applied to later songs, and it's just a process of uh, you know. Over, over, over creating to, to be able to curate ultimately. That's what you want, right? You make a bunch of stuff and you just see what works. Like I, I heard this story back in the day, Jane's Addiction for one of their albums, you know, they, they just like, they cranked out all these hits and they said, we're taking all the best songs and saving them for the next album, which I thought was a pretty brilliant move. I don't know if I could do that, but you know, if someone could pull that off, it's great. Well, we had very high written in June of 2020. Uh, really? and it was a song that kind of felt bigger than all the other songs. Uh, and so we saved it. Uh, we, it needed to get better as well. It needed improvement to be able to be as good of a song as it is now. Um, we knew we weren't ready for it either way that it was, you know, took more scope, better singing, better production to achieve that song. So we, we didn't, it, we, we, we tried to record it for all roads lead to the gun, our previous record. And, uh, we ended up holding on to it that whole time. 
So I relate, but I only I've only done it with one song, so I don't know how uh, special that is. Well, I think it's special because that's my favorite song of yours. So good oh, choice. Yes. Well, I'm glad that we waited till the right time to release it because it maybe would have been your least favorite song if we'd done it wrong. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, you know, you mentioned um, you know just trying different things and throwing it out there without without even like thinking about releasing it. Isn't that kind of how Military Gun got started? You're with your bandmate. Steph, and you're just waiting to go back to the airport, so you just worked on some songs to kill time? Yeah, we were we were practicing up for the Regional Justice Center Crime and Punishment LP, and um, it basically was like, well, she learned the songs that she needed to, but we had hours left, and it was like, well, let's just mess around and write a song, and, and that song was Kept Talking, which is the first military gun song. Wow, just like that. Yeah. When, when was that? Uh, I believe... It had to have been maybe it was like March eighteenth, twenty twenty. It was like the day that everything stopped. That day. It was the day that day or the day after. We went to the movies the night before, so I know the world was not closed yet. But the um yeah, that day was when it was official that like we're not going on tour, we're not doing any of the stuff that we were planning on. And at the very minimum, there's two weeks of nothing happening. And so I trade I treated that as just I'm going to go to the practice space every day and work on at least one song. Um, and yeah, I wrote a lot of really terrible songs. <laughs> Did any of those songs end up becoming a military gun or regional justice center songs? Well, so the, the complicated thing was why military gun started was the regional justice center record had already been written. So it was the type of thing where I was like, well, shit, I can't, you know, uh, I don't want to complicate it by overwriting. Cause that, that's a band I don't overwrite for. I have a very specific, framework the way things are supposed to work and fit and mm -hmm. um then i yeah i just was like yeah i'm gonna do something different because at the time i was really into doing like projects and so i thought this was just gonna be like a demo i released and then move on with my life but i ended up writing so many things i mean the first day i wrote two songs one of them was kept talking the other one got scrapped the next day was um a new low for progressive society so it was like the framework was falling into place pretty fast um, as far as like songs that would end up being actually used for releases, there would be like the early ratio is probably like for every three songs made one, one would make the cut. And you're living in Los Angeles at this time. Yep. How did you end up there from Washington? So I, I moved down here to quit music to some degree. I was, I, uh, had been directing music videos for bands and, uh, in the pursuit of filmmaking, I wanted to come to Los Angeles and, and work with bigger clients, try to work my way into directing commercials and hopefully eventually doing uh, movies. But uh, then my obsession with Regional Justice Center and, and just touring and, and uh, kind of it always overtook everything else in my life. And for a while I was doing this really shitty thing where I'd go from tour uh, and I'd be in pre-production for a video on tour, and then I would arrive home, we'd have the tech scout day, and then the next day would be the shoot day. So it just was like a suicide cocktail of anxiety and lack of sleep, and uh, it was absolutely miserable what I was doing to myself at the time. But my goal was ultimately, I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'll stop playing music in like a touring capacity, and I'll just do filmmaking. But ultimately, music is like what pulls at me every day. It, it's the thing that I wake up with a song in my head every day. You know, like I don't wake up thinking about a shot in a film. I, I wake up with a song. So uh, ultimately, I just couldn't, could not escape it. 
Yeah, that makes sense. You got to go in the direction you're being pulled, right? Well, yeah. and But the thing is, like, my whole life, even since I was young, as a way to sidestep criticism from family, you know, I'd always be like, well, you know, I'm going to tour a little bit longer and then I'm going to go back to school and I'll get a degree in something and get a job. And luckily, I did find an actual passion in, in filmmaking. So I wasn't being disingenuous and being like, I actually would be also happy with a career there. But like, I never felt it was reasonable to be like, and then my band is going to be successful and I will be able to have it as a job. Like I never anticipated that being a part of the equation. Um, And also that I think that's part of what has made my music good is I never made it in a way that was anticipating success such as that, you know, like regional justice center is a very non-commercial band uh, by design and originally, like I would say, Military Gun was as well. But the more I was learning to sing, and the more I was learning, the more I was those were those ideas and those ways of playing were piquing my interest. And I wanted to like unlock the the Rubik's cube of it all. Like, how do you make a pop song? How do you do all these things? But ultimately, it's like the passion and the self interest in those things. Like I thought that people might hate Life Under the Gun because of how poppy it was or something. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It it ultimately. I never have anticipated any of this happening. Yeah, and in uh, hardcore and heavier music circles, you know, if you're trying something different, especially something that's not as heavy or more melodic, people can get upset sometimes. Well, I mean, the person that that took the brunt of of all of that was Justice um, from Angel Dust and TUI. Not not only did he have to deal with it with, I remember when Big Kiss Goodnight came out, it was divisive. Like, um, let alone when Angel Dust came out pretty quickly after, it was like, People were not ready for that. Like though that band made the way for this moment to happen, and uh, you know I, I'm a, definitely a broken record. I've probably said it in a thousand interviews, but I got I got to pay homage to my guy on all that because because I think we all are the beneficiaries of his hard his creative labor. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, regional justice center did that get started out of Washington? Yeah, we started in 2017 in Washington. How old are you when that band gets started? That is a good question. I think I was maybe 26 or 27, looking at the timeline. 25 or 26, maybe? I don't know. What's your life look like at that time? I mean, where are you living? What are you doing? Do you want to do music full time? Like, what? How are things? At the time, I was playing in a lot of other... I was the drummer for a lot of other people's bands. It was the type of thing where I always had ambition and desire in regards to music of like touring a lot and and hopefully you know making a band have fans which was not the case at the time you know like it wasn't uh what would kind of constantly happen would be i'd be the drummer in a band and then we would get some momentum and we'd kind of start dreaming a little bit about it and then our singers would um kind of shit the bed for us where it would just be like oh you know we were talking about touring full-time but you now you got a career job out of nowhere like and and it was like a lot of false starts as far as all of the these bands i was really passionate about goes so that's what led me to regional justice center was you know the culmination of of my brother getting incarcerated in 2016 and visiting him at the regional justice center where he was awaiting sentencing and um and then this this ultimate restlessness of uh I'm I I'm sick of other people ruining the momentum and the 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 labor that I'm putting into projects. 
Yeah, you know, I really feel that because that's what happened to me my whole life with bands. Um, something would happen and I would quit or someone else would quit and all the hard work I put in is gone or, the, you know, I never put myself in a position where I was in control of things. So I like that you did that as the drummer and singer for Regional Justice Center. Well, it was the type of thing where in in like middle school and high school when I started playing music i was much more of a control freak i've always had a you know a somewhat specific vision in my mind uh when it comes to making anything um but i let myself kind of fall to the background and i was a little bit less comfortable speaking my mind and i was a little like i didn't feel capable of putting myself out into the world i, I felt very uh self-censoring at the time as far as my uh own vision for for things and and like putting myself out there lyrically or anything like that i was a little afraid of honestly at the time and um so it kind of took rjc happening to to shake that and get back to kind of the way that i created much closer to when i started creating music the first time yeah and you know and i have a lot of respect for anyone that manages to do that like fronting a band and taking that leap when they're younger because it is really, really scary. I didn't do it for the first time until I was 35, 36, and I just, I just don't think I was capable of it before then. Yeah, I mean, I feel like at a young age, it was easier because it's all pure ego. And then, you know, you grow up, and, and specifically where I was coming from, I just wasn't comfortable with putting myself out there to people, uh, which people might think is crazy because I'm obviously always on these interviews saying crazy shit about my life. But um, yeah. Uh, you know, I just, it's, it's, uh, it took me a while to get back there. It definitely was easier when I was, when I was younger, I think. Uh, you mentioned your brother who was incarcerated. I've heard you talk about that and how you were actually at a regional justice center, which is where the band name came from. Uh, what happened there? I know he was incarcerated, I think for assault, but I've heard you mention that it was like a messed up prison system. Maybe it was one of those like privatized for pay public prison systems was it something well, well, like so that so what i've done with my position in in press in the past specifically with rjc was was speaking on this thing that that people don't ever have to really encounter hopefully which is these privatized uh phone systems and and like you know you go to visit someone who is incarcerated and all of visitation is centered around vending machines and them being able to access snacks and things that they can't. So it's like the whole experience is centered around capitalism in a very, very messed up way. I don't think I don't feel comfortable commenting on my brother's uh, crime in mm -hmm. in an interview. Um, we are working on music where he will hopefully be able to speak for himself and um, and represent his his own identity. I mean, I, I don't think that. I don't think commenting on, on the crime is, is really my place, though. No, understandable. Yeah, and it's it's just gross how everything in this country, it, they just find a way to churn money out of it, even even prisons. Well, I mean, yeah, that one's literally a hostage situation, you know? It's And, and people who specifically in county, when they're um, awaiting sentencing or awaiting their fate, you know, like, county can be a lot more gnarly than um, the actual, like, prison because it's people who are not um properly grouped like in, in the way of uh like violent criminals sex offenders like everyone's just in one set you know one situation 
you know? Yeah. And uh, that type of situation, you need family. And the, uh, during those times, those are when the, the phone calls are the most expensive because they, you know, it got cheaper um, post-sentencing because the, you know, like, but the phones when he was in county was, are, were so expensive, you know? And uh, yeah, it's a hostage situation. That's what it is. You're telling me that the calls get cheaper after sentencing. Uh, for for the case, the case, our case, because he was moved to a different facility, which has a different structure for these things. But the same company runs both. Ugh. I, I'm I'm surprised and not surprised, but that's gross to hear that they're gouging people like that. I mean, it's probably the type of thing where they know it's not sustainable. Where family members who family members are where the money comes from. Um, right for these things, so they know probably on someone who's been sentenced to years that it's not sustainable to overcharge them. So they probably drop the price down in a way that makes it so you don't, you know, like so that's actually sustainable. That that it is a situation that people will continually pay for. Where in county, people are usually in there for, you know, months, uh, rarely years, and um, you know, so it's it's more expensive there. I don't, I mean, I, I, I can't really comment on the actual inner workings because they keep that very, very private, private. It's a very shady system, but is what it is. Yeah. So regional justice center, we get that started. How do things start to pick up? I know you eventually put out uh, a record on closed casket, which is a great label. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I've been thinking about the momentum and trajectory, like unpacking the timeline in my head a lot recently. And, um, my thing is we were just touring nonstop. Like it was a lot of like two to three week tours and we just went at it. And I was like thinking about how, for how long we were like a band with like 100 monthly listeners while we were like touring so relentlessly, like really no proof that the band would ever gain an audience. (laughs) But at the time it was like, we sold 20 pre-orders. Like that was the coolest thing in the world. You know, like when we put up our demo seven inch, I remember it's 20 pre-orders and I was like, that's growth. (laughs) You know, like it was very exciting. Um, And uh, yeah, so it just was really relentlessly touring, but also relentlessly writing. And To Live L.I. put out our first LP called World of Inconvenience. We did an EP on Triple B called Institution and then uh, ended up with Closed Casket where we did um, a standalone song, 7-inch, and then we did our LP, Crime and Punishment. So that came out. Now, did you get sidelined by the pandemic? I guess so, right? No touring. And uh, the record came out. The record on Closed Casket came out in March of 21. And I think things were still pretty closed at that point. Yeah, no no shows. Yeah, we got sidelined. And it, it was the type of thing where that was meant to be everybody performing on the record, but because of the lockdown, I ended up having to perform everything on the record myself, and I'm pretty sure we recorded that record in April 2020. So it's it's funny it, it's funny thinking back to the um the timeline of it all of like how crazy and restless I felt and but it was like still I was hitting like major milestones of like like, oh, I recorded, I probably recorded the Military Gun demo April 2020. I recorded Crime and Punishment April 2020. I dropped the first Military Gun May 2020. You know, it's like, uh, it all was very close together, but it felt like an eternity at the time. It must feel really good, too, to be doing these bands and to be hitting these landmarks, right? Because you said you were pl- drumming in a bunch of bands previously and something would go wrong, singer would leave. People aren't committed, but now that you're taking control of this thing, you're getting things done, and I would guess more to your vision of how you think they should be done. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and with that, it also people are familiar with my work ethic. So they, uh, they, you know, like people who have entered the band are, are very familiar in advance of, of the fact that I'm going to try to grind us to death in every aspect, you know? Now, now, that's a good question. How do you find the right people? You know, like I tried to put together a band before and I couldn't find the right people. So the band just stopped. But I also just lost the desire to keep trying to find people. I mean, I guess you had been playing out and you knew a lot of people in the scene and whatnot. Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I needed people to achieve this, the vision of, of either project, you know, like, like, I, I'm the one who gets interviewed, but this this is a a labor for five people, you know? Yeah. Um, and with that, you know, it just was like, sometimes it's, it's talent. Uh, most of the time for me, it's just, uh, about passion. You know, our guitar player, uh, will he, he, this is his first band he's ever done. He's, uh, and he didn't even own a guitar when I asked him to be in the band, but he was coming with me to recording sessions and I was sending him demos and he was so excited about the band and I was just like, he's this excited about the band. He would be really excited to be in the band. And um, and he's just, he helped me with a lot of music videos over time. And he just, I just knew he would be down to roll because that's who he is as a person. He like is just a dude that wants to be involved in something cool and creative. And so that's who I asked, even though, you know, he wasn't a guitar player. And he's had to grow into that role. And he has because he's passionate. That's good to be able to spot that, right? I mean, yeah, I, I hope it's good. <laughs> it has it's, it's definitely come back to bite me in times where I've attempted to push people forward and and it and it's hit a wall and you have to then have the honest conversation conversation of like oh this isn't working, you know. But uh um, Yeah. It's worth it to be surrounded by people who are passionate and not just, you know, people working a job. You know, I've read that uh you'll still include all members of Regional Justice Center in promo shots and other things that you're doing, like even people who can't be in it right now. Is that correct? We have in the past. I mean, just logistically, I don't know how possible that would be for the future. There's been too many people who play in the band that live in too many places. I would love yeah. to do one massive family photo of everyone who's ever played in the band. But um, but I don't know how that sounds expensive. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think that's good because uh, you you know you never know who's not going to be able to do a tour or who is or if you might need somebody at the last minute. Like my band is spread out in three different states that are really far from each other. So I like the idea of like, oh, we can ask this person or this person if we need to. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's like about um, there has to be a lack of ego in it. You know, the 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 train keeps moving even when you're not on it. Um, that being said, I mean, military gun is meant to be a band of five people and regional Justice center is meant to be a band of four people. And I don't like it to be me with a group of people rotating around me. I, I want the identity of these people to be felt and heard in the music. I don't want this to be completely about me as, as it seems like it often does end up being, but, um, it's like trying to build out that and, and making, uh, making it clear that it's not the the will of one man there there's a lot of other people's contributions to these things absolutely and i think that's why people like bands right because it's the people it's the stories it's the lore it's the journey of that band together it's our journey with the music as we grow with it like having all of those people together is important yeah 100% and that's what makes it a living breathing thing you know like like the most exciting bands to watch are the ones where it's like it feels like it could come off the rails but it's not and they're they're doing this tight wire act that you can't quite understand how they're achieving that and that 
that's alive. That, that, that's people playing together. And, um, that the goal, that's the goal is to achieve that. Absolutely. So you move from what, where in Washington did you live? Uh, I'm from a small town called Enumclaw, Washington, but I have lived in Tacoma. And then before moving to, um, Los Angeles, I lived in Seattle. Which one did you like the best? Uh, I like Los Angeles the best, honestly. How about in Washington? What was the best, Tacoma or Seattle or your hometown? Uh, the most beautiful, be- the most beautiful hands down, my my hometown. But uh, as far as culturally, it's a little far from what I would like it to be. And I mean, I I love Seattle. I love Seattle. Yeah, I was only there once, like twenty years ago, but I remember really liking it. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a beautiful place. So, how old are you when you moved to Los Angeles? Uh, I was twenty eighteen, so I was probably twenty six or twenty seven, probably twenty seven. And did you make a uh, headway in terms of directing videos and the film stuff you wanted to get involved with? Oh, instantly, instantly. It was like I, I literally was directing a video for Drug Church. That was like my first like time being given money to make a video, and then soon after was doing Angel Dust, and then I did some, uh, I did Bad Sons, and done a lot of jobs for Pure Noise, and you know, it's it's a certain budget range that I've worked within that I would love to break out of. But I, as far as skills and the ability to get paid, it almost like changed instantaneously. Part of that was the, you know, my, uh, the people were more aware of me to Regal Justice Center. Like, like they, you know, there, there's other aspects at play that perception of me was actively changing uh, for people. But um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was really quick after moving, honestly. So it sounds like you had some connections. You were able to uh, get involved with things because of, Regional Justice Center and other people that you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, coming together kind of quickly, probably quicker than other people. But I do think there's a lot. There's just always something happening here. So um, if you're looking for it, you could find something to be involved in. So how did you end up getting pulled back towards music? I mean, I never stopped. That was the thing is I was only talking about stopping. I never stopped. <laughs> like we were <laughs> we were on tour religiously, you know, like um the fall of 2019 we did a like a 40 day regional justice center tour had 2 weeks off went to japan came home i toured playing drums for a band called woolworm and then the pandemic happened so it was like you know just nonstop it, it didn't really i would only refer to it as like yeah eventually i'm going to stop doing this but i never was stopping so you planned to stop it just didn't happen yeah exactly happy accident, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's what I think it was meant to be. So we're in the midst of the pandemic. You're working on some military gun material. What happens after that? Like, when do you start getting out and playing more? We played our first show like the end of July, 2021. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'd been having band practices for a full year up to that point. A little over a year. I think our first practices were in June of 2020. So it was the type of thing where, um, yeah, it took us a long time, but we were, we were, you know, we were ready to play. We were itching. We were, we, we needed it. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, then we did our first tour, which was a, which was 50 shows that, that was our first one. So it was just hitting the ground running as best as we could. And what release did you have out at this point? Did you have some singles out? Did you have, uh, any barometer of like how people were, uh, responding to the music? Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, I knew even from the first songs we put out that people were more receptive to this than anything else that I had done. Um, I, I think part of that came from, I used to do a, a podcast with Patrick Kinlan 
called I don't care if this ruins my life. And um, through that, I think there was people who are fans of Patrick that were not fans of, of a, you know, aggressive blast beat hardcore, but they maybe were kind of interested in me as a person. And so I think there was pr- a priming of a fan base there a little bit of like, I want to like this guy's music, but I hate blast beat music. And then I started making music that was not. Um, and, and there was a little bit more people ready to receive that um, as far as that goes. And then, it, then there was also RJC fans who were maybe interested as well. So uh, it was kind of instantly, it just felt like, okay, this is, a, this has a little more attention and, and, uh, and interest than, than other things that are startups that I've done. So does, uh, does military gun just become the focus? As far as writing goes, yeah, because crime and punishment was already done and I didn't want to write another RJC record until um, I could go out and tour the one that I had just made, you know, like, uh, and so I just kept, kept writing and kept writing and kept writing military gun songs. Has a regional justice center toured since uh, the pandemic? Yeah, we did a, a West Coast and we did an East Coast tour at the end of uh, 2021. It must have felt good to finally tour Crime and Punishment, huh? Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it was a uh, it was a great experience. And and the second tour, the East Coast tour, we got to do. We did dates with God's Hate and Judiciary on the way out, and then on the East Coast, we did it was us, Show Me the Body, and Candy. And you know, was it was an honor to be a part of that lineup and and play with those bands every night. So it's cool. And and our West Coast was like felt like a crowning achievement at the time where we were headlining these shows, and they were just our shows with locals and. There's a lot of people there and, and people seemed really excited. So it was, uh, you know, it felt like uh, the, the hard work had paid off. Oh, big time. Yeah, those are some amazing tours. Um, drumming and singing at the same time. Now, this sounds impossible to me, but you do it. So I guess not. Is, is it difficult? Do you ever think about not doing it? It sucks. And I, I, I wish I didn't do it. But um, <laughs> The first band I, I really ever did that like played shows, I drummed and sang for, and it was a power violence band. So it was the type of thing where like I literally learned drums so that I could blast beat and scream at the same time. So it was very intuitive to me. Yeah, like not only playing drums, but blast beats and screaming at the same time sounds really difficult. The blast beat's the easiest part because it's like the most mechanical. Like once you learn the beat, you can kind of fit a lot more rhythms over top of it in a more elaborate way because your body's moving at a steady pace where some of these breakdown rhythms or other things can can feel really complicated to move your hands in different ways um all the while while singing something and and I don't I don't write the songs thinking about oh I have to sing and play this. I just try to write the best version. So you know, it's it, it's complicated, but you you slowly learn it over time. Right. Like, uh, you know, I couldn't play and sing before, but that it, there came a time where I just had to do it. So I just sat there and hacked it out until I found something that works. That's what you got to do. Exactly. It's just the exact same process. So with her military gun, you know, obviously a change in sound from Regional Justice Center. What kind of influences do you have? What uh, what bands are you drawing from? I hear a lot of Modest Mouse when I hear Military Gun, especially the earlier stuff, some Fugazi, some of that stuff. Definitely Fugazi. Fugazi and Born Against and then like Greg Ginn's guitar playing were big influences. I mean, pretty rapidly we moved away from the noisy guitar playing and that was largely to do with the fact that I had to teach those parts to other people. And the good thing to me about noisy guitar playing is the nuance in the bends and i have the mental illness of being able to hear 
like the most microcosmic difference between things. And so <laughs> I hated handing those parts to play to, uh, to, to handing them to, to other people to play. So I was like, well, that doesn't work. I need to write different types of guitar parts. Um, but yeah, early days, it was, you know, Modest Mouse specifically started creeping in more and more because I was like, well, Isaac Brock yells and sings. Um, how do I do that? And there's definitely a lot of scrap songs that probably go a lot closer to Modest Mouse than um, than we've released. But, uh, you know, as far as vocal approach and, and, and lyrical approach to some degree, I feel like uh, a lot of the lines that I say would, would feel like a character in an Isaac Brock song would say that. And, but I distill it to just me saying it. Um, yeah, I don't know. So that, yeah, like I always think of the line, I'm trying to live my life with nothing to hide and no one to fight. And I'm like, if that was an Isaac Brock lyric, lyric, he would say, he said, I'm trying to live, you know, like, uh, and he would put those, those lyrics into someone else's mouth because he likes speaking from characters. So, you know, I don't know, a lot of thoughts go into the ways in which it's similar or dissimilar. But to me, that, that is a, a big, big touchstone for us. Definitely Fugazi. And then as time goes on, you know, like just was really taking the culmination of any guitar band that I have interest over time. And, uh, a lot of classic rock, honestly, as well. A lot of the Beatles, the who, um, the kinks, and then just making it feel more aggressive. I like that. I like that. You said you did uh 50 tour dates when you, when you first set out. Yep. How soon are, th well, you said things were picking up pretty soon because it had a bigger reception than any of the other projects you were involved with. How soon do we get label interest from Loma Vista? So we started talking to Loma Vista during the pandemic and uh, for All Roads Lead to the Gun, but ultimately the conversations didn't pan out the way that uh, we had hoped with us getting signed, which ultimately was like a way better thing for us to be able to grow as a band independently of anyone really having any say in what we did you know like all the way through we recorded life under the gun before getting signed so um you know we were very self-sufficient and it was really so much about how do we feel about these songs and um how can we do what we're trying to do so you had to go out there and make them better exactly exactly i mean the first tour the 50-day tour we were listening to the demos for Life Under the Gun with the sequence of the record pretty much exactly as it is now. Um, and we were discussing how do we, you know, how do we make these songs better and how do we um, take this to the next level? Uh, and, you know, we, our final tour date of the year was like December 12th or something like that. And then I think we recorded drums for Life Under the Gun like January 4th of 22 so it was the type of thing where you know it was it everything moved fast because that's just the way i prefer it to is i hate waiting for things so uh it was important that we just kept it moving so when did you actually sign with the label uh probably like may or june of 23 and then we released let me be normal like a couple weeks later ah okay yeah which was a different that a different recording session like all those extra songs on the all roads deluxe were written or were demoed uh before life under the gun but were finally actualized and finished being recorded like post the recording for life under the gun oh really yeah i don't know how important any of this timeline shit is to people but it's funny to me to think about 
Yeah, and it just helps me make sense of everything. You know, that's why I ask people like, "How old were you?" or "Where were you?" It it somehow makes it all click together in my mind. Yeah, definitely. Wow, great uh, company on that label too. Just a lot of good bands and Corn. Yeah. Label mates with corn. Come on. We've toured with Limp Biscuit and we're label mates with corn. These are things that a young me would love to know about myself now, you know? You actually toured with Limp Biscuit. We did the final three dates on their last tour, yeah. Really? How was that? It was incredible. It was awesome. Their set list was awesome. Fred is so nice. Uh he's got his ear to the ground, you know. I I reposted a video of MS Paint and he's on there commenting about it being good, you know? Like he's he's hungry for new music. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting thing that I thought would never happen, but here we are. Yeah, he must know what's up, because I had a cat from Scowl on the show before, and she said, you know, he found that band and reached out to them, and they did a run with them, too. Yeah, exactly. Same tour, different legs, so. Ah, okay. How does he get in touch with you? How does that happen? It's all booking agent stuff, you know, business. I see. So the booking agent comes to you and says, we have uh, these Limp Bizkit shows for you. What do you think? Yeah, basically. So we have the new record out, Life Under the Gun. How are things going? How is the reception? How are we feeling about it? feel great. I mean, we worked on it for so long, and um, and it's amazing just to see people enjoying it and uh, talking about it and listening to it, and then seeing people react live is, you know, it's very surreal uh, having sat on it for so long. So uh, it feels, feels incredible. When did you actually record it? January of 2020. January and February of 22. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, whoa. So that, that that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. And we demoed it in full before we ever played a show. So why did you have to wait so long? Just release schedules and all that stuff? Waiting for the right time. You know, it was the type of thing where we wanted to build an audience to be there to receive it instead of, um, you know, just releasing songs early just to have them out, you know, where if you lay the groundwork, I think that it you'll have way better results. How does that work? Like, uh, d- does the label want to put it out earlier? Like, do you go to them and say, no, we want to go out there and play no, some shows No, no, no. They, they, um, they, they definitely, I mean, any label who is good is saying, give us the most amount of time to build the strategy around this and, and make it succeed. Um, like, rushing to release records is not how you uh, have a great, ability to market it you know like and that's why you have a record label if it if if we didn't want to market our records properly we would just do them ourselves and there wouldn't be all this other stuff that we've got to do um and so that's where the the great value is 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 waiting and building the plan and then executing that plan that makes sense that makes sense how do you figure all this stuff out i guess just years and years in the business right i just study study that's it i mean i I, i'm an i'm an obsessive um you know, listener and, and, uh, and I obsessively think on the different various ways to do things. I think a lot for a long time, uh, I was a very unassuming person because I was just a guy who played in a blast beat hardcore band. And so when I was asking questions of people's business, of asking justice of, you know, how it is working with their label or talking to Patrick Kinlan about working in comics. And, you know, like he, when I met him, he was the assistant for a big booking agent. And so I'm asking questions about that. And I've just always had the curiosity about the business element as well as the creative element. And, um, you know, I, I, hopefully I merge them in a way that makes things work in a way that it might not for others. It sounds like it's working. I hope, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) So 
what kind of things do you write about? Is it personal? Like, what, uh, do you have a theme for a record or does the theme happen as you're writing? Like, what, what's going on? I find the theme definitely happens as it progresses. I, I don't go in with some like heady, like, oh, I'm trying to talk about this. But it's like when you, you know, when you have eight songs next to each other and you're realizing they all somewhat have a common theme or, uh, you, you start to go, okay. And then, then maybe I'll lean into it and try to write something that, further encapsulates that idea um like for this record uh, a huge thing that was was uh weighing on me was just like being stuck in this bubble of life and and really reflecting on you know the way that i conduct myself in the world and 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 past relationships you know i was kind of single for the first time um as a serial monogamist and and i was like I should like look at the way I conduct myself in relationships and think about the ways in which I've either hurt other people or people have hurt me and and the way that I want to continue forward with my life and uh who do I see that person being and um so I think that I mean that's a huge huge part of life under the gun is just being like like ob- observing like the cycles of which you know uh getting hurt hurting others and kind of the third person aspect of culture surrounding this idea of people making mistakes and whether or not they can find a road back to to redemption in their own life. Where are you at with that now? Are you single? Are you with somebody? Like, how do you view it differently now? Uh, I've been in a two-year relationship now. So like when I started dating my uh, current girlfriend, uh, well, I guess we're almost at three years now but um you know the record was pretty much written already at that point um and so this is kind of the first one since since that and and i always told her i was like like uh musicians are like at least one relationship behind on their <laughs> music you know like yeah it takes so long to to write and record a, a record and so you're kind of stuck talking about um previous relationships while you're in new relationships which is uh probably a very conflicting thing for someone in in, the other person in a new relationship Um, right but uh yeah yeah i don't know i mean it's the type of thing where just try to be aware of who you are in relation to another human being how'd you meet your current girlfriend uh she (laughs) she followed me on um on twitter and instagram at the same time and i was like who is this and she uh, worked in music videos. And so I slid into her DMs uh, wanting to collaborate. And she obviously followed me because she was interested in something else. And uh, then through a period of me uh, trying to just be a collaborator, eventually <laughs> we became uh, lovers. So now we are in that situation. I like that. I'm, I'm going to try that move, the collaboration. Yeah. I mean, I... Uh, I don't ever attempt to be presumptuous uh, in 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 the past with relationships, and uh, so my first thing is like I just approach someone as a friend or a collaborator or whatever, and then if something else can grow out of that, that's amazing. But like ultimately, I'm so much more <laughs> invested in in creating uh, things. So that she clowns me for this, by the way. <laughs> No, that's the move. That's the move. You can't go in with uh, preconceived intentions or notions necessarily because 
you never know, right? So if you go in and, and you're collaborating or working on something, then you can suss out the vibe and see what's going on. It's like, oh, this person is really excited to talk to me. They must like me. Yeah, well, my ego was like, oh, well, clearly this person who works in music videos has followed me because I make music videos. So, <laughs> and then when I DM'd her, she was like, oh, you make music videos? Like, because to her, she was like, I just thought you were like a cute guy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still work on videos? Do you still uh, direct? I've been doing our videos. I didn't do our last one though, and on and my girlfriend will be making the next one. So, uh, you know, I, I I go in and out of it. I just try to keep the ideas for myself at this point. Yeah, might might as well just use them for your band, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I've given away a lot of very cheap and easy concepts that would make my life less of a headache had I had them for myself. So uh, I try not to give them away. You got to hold on to the best stuff for yourself. That's the way to do it. Yes. Regional Justice Center. Is it, is it on hiatus right now? Uh, we just recorded a record. Oh. So what's going on with that? Are we allowed to talk about it yet or no? It's just a ways away from, from you know, it's, it's a little too far from the finish line. You can keep this in, but, but it's the type of thing where it's just like not ready to be commented on necessarily. Understood. Understood. That's exciting, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. I'm going to go... Uh, well, we recorded, I should say, we recorded all the instruments. Now we need to do vocals. So, uh, yeah, I've been sp- splitting my brain of recording as many demos as I can for Military Gun while also finishing an RJC LP before we leave for basically the rest of the year on September 8th. Well, uh, what's that tour? We are touring with Scowl and MS Paint and Big Laugh for six weeks. And then we are doing the Coheed and Cambria cruise. And then we get to go home for a week and then we go to Europe for five weeks. So we're on tour from September 8th to December 12th. Wow. Great tours. Do you ever, does this blow your mind ever? Like, think about it. You know, you're killing time before a flight. So you're like to Steph, let's write some songs. Let's, uh, let's pass the time. Now you're performing with Coheed and Cambria on a cruise. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sunny Day Real Estate is performing on the cruise as well, which is what really has me, really has me excited. No. Um, the it, yeah, it blows my mind constantly. I'm I'm so so grateful to have fallen ass backwards into all this. Wow, amazing. Uh, so is Regional Justice Center? Are those guys still in Washington? Do you have to split your time? So Alex is still in Washington. Um. And he's the other like main collaborator. Like this record was probably mostly written by him, uh, and so he he's there, and he's like the other guy that like if he's not there, then the, the it's not moving. But um, as far as my like focus goes, you know, like my brother's here, and my brother will also be contributing to the uh, recordings and and any live performances we do from here on out. So you know. Between the three of us, we'll we'll figure it out. What does your brother play? Uh, well, he's going to do a lot of vocals on the on the on the record. So we're going to see how we're going to figure out the way to make it make the most sense, whatever that is. I like that involving family. Yeah, well, I mean the band is due to him. So um, if it weren't for him, none of this shit would happen. I probably wouldn't be successful with Military Gun either. You know, like um, so it's the type of thing where. You know, it's all about trying to point back to him at this point with, with that project. Is he with you in Los Angeles now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lives with me. Or well, we live together. We live together. I don't know why he says he lives with me. We live together in Los Angeles. How is that? Is it weird at all? Because I lived with my brother before, and it was weird back then. And we'll talk about it now. But I, I just try to say, like, look, we made the best of the situation. 
everything's fine. It's all good. No, we love it. It's the best. I mean, I having family close is, is one of the most important things to me. So, um, you know, getting to see him every day that I'm not on tour is, is important to me. I love that. I love that. Is, is, does he have a musical background? Like, did he do bands and stuff before? He didn't do bands. He's he uh, he makes music under the name Vatican Voss, and he's actually dropping new music on Monday. So everyone should check that out. Vatican Voss uh, song is called "Change" that he's dropping, and uh, yeah, so it, it, he's he's making his own music, and and he's he's very talented. So uh, it's it's cool to see him uh, start to do that as well as as you know do now doing this regional justice center record together yeah yeah and it's got to be great for him to just be getting back into life and things you know taking into consideration everything before right because i mean i'm involved in recovery because i used to live a uh, wild life too and i hear these stories every day of people just coming back from insurmountable odds and being able to live uh, happy and normal lives. So it's uh, it's great that it sounds like he's getting to do that now too. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, um, recovery and the program is like a huge part of his and I's background. Like our, our mother was, was uh, an alcoholic who was constantly relapsing. So it'd be these periods of going to AA meetings and, and, you know, for all of my earliest experiences with him, my mom didn't have a babysitter. So, you know, I'm there for the AA meetings and I've heard the slogans my entire life. And, um, and all those things are, you know, what is largely being represented on life under the gun is like that forgiveness, the, uh, letting go of resentment, the, all those things that I, I heard my whole life are now, you know, it's the rubber meeting the road as an adult of how do I carry that with me? That's productive. I'm not sober, uh, by any means as, especially cause there's a song called very high on the record, but you know, it's like, um, you know, how do I take the lessons and the positive things learned from all those years of having to attend AA meetings with my mother and just being around it and being around people in the program and the way they talk and, and how, do, how do I make that relevant to my life now? I like that. Yeah, there's a lot of good lessons to be learned there for anybody. I'm still in meetings uh, three days a week and uh, it's kind of mind blowing. Like uh, I'll see uh, people in there with their kids or they grow up and, you know, people know the kids. Like I, I was a, a friend of mine in the program. I was at his birthday party and they're playing this slideshow of like 30 years of friendships and kids growing up and all this history. And I'm like, wow, it's kind of crazy that I'm here right now, like part of this thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. I'm, I'm grateful to have grown up in that environment. And, uh, it, it was, it's a really weird thing to be, to say that though at the same time because you're like I'm fucked up because of all that <laughs> but I'm also, you know, a more positive and um forgiving person and uh, that's ultimately positive. How's your mom now? Is she around? Yeah, yeah, she her and I are very close. She's very close to my my brothers and um you know, there's there was big big rocky periods, you know, and uh we're grateful to hopefully be on the other end of of all of it, you know, but again, you take it one day at a time. That's what they say. One day at a time. What about your relationship with uh, alcohol or anything else? Do you worry like, uh, you know, maybe some of it's passed down in the family? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm not in, a, I don't know how to phrase exactly what I'm, I would, I'm trying to phrase these things without being like so self-effacing, but uh yes, I do worry. 
I'll say that much, I guess. Okay. So are, let me ask you this. Are you doing okay? Do we need to talk later? Is everything all right? <laughs> uh, yeah, doing, I'm doing, doing all right. Doing all right. All right. All right. Well, you know who to talk to if, uh, Definitely. if, if things, things ever get too out of control, you know? Definitely. So I got to ask you this. Did you ever end up getting a keychain? <laughs> this is about the Portland story. <laughs> yeah, are we, are, yeah. You're 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 walking around with a bunch of loose keys. That just seems that just seems crazy to me. Uh, yeah, I did. I did. My girlfriend made me get a keychain. So, for the listeners, yes, please, please, my, just I the one night. So I, I'm I can be very antisocial, and I was on tour with. Citizen Prince Daddy and the hyena and restraining order. And I, I was like four days in. I was like, I have not talked to anybody really. So I decided I was going to get drunk and be social. I gave up my keys and my band members lost my keys, which had all of the keys in my life on it. And to resent them when we got all the replacements, I refused to put them on a keychain and live a way worse life uh, because of it. And that is, that's the story there. So I have a question. How does you not getting a keychain? Like get revenge on them. I, that... I'm I, I'm letting them know that they've forced me to live a less good life. Ah, see, I like that. I like that. Now I have a question. So you you handed a band member the keys. Do they know how they lost them? Do they know where they, they set went? them on the wheel well of the trailer, and then the, then the van pulled away. Wow. Yep. Wow. See, see, I'm such a control freak. I wouldn't ever give anyone my keys because well, I'm that's like, the they're, thing they're... i am a control freak but then occasionally i try to relinquish it and then i get fucked yeah that's the thing never give up control yeah that's that's a terrible motto i don't think they'd say that in the program that's for sure yeah in fact uh yeah yeah they'd say the complete opposite actually but hey i've been told i'm a control freak and i say you know what yeah so what i gotta handle business it's, yeah it's true <laughs> so you do have a keychain now i do do you, do you like having a keychain better? Do you find that uh, things are easier now? Well, the crazy thing is I currently... This, this shows how chaotic and stupid my life is. Uh, my van is parked near my house. The keychain being the thing that has the van, that, that has the van key. I cannot find my keys. And <laughs> I just had to eat a parking ticket because I couldn't move my van and I still don't know. So I need to find my keys by next Wednesday. Otherwise, my van will be towed. And that is, that's where we're at now. How long have the keys been missing? Since Wednesday morning when I realized that I had no clue where they were. Oh, and the man. last time I touched them was the previous Wednesday. Now you have no one to blame but yourself. Yeah, now it's my fault. So, Well, uh, we talked about some of the tours that Military Gun has coming up. Sounds like for the rest of the year, some excellent tours. We know there's a regional justice record to look forward to. Is there anything else you want to plug here in the end or mention? Any shows, any other bands that you're involved with, anything like that? Just Life Under the Gun is out now. Run it up. Yeah. If you're out there and you somehow still have not heard the record, check it out. I think it's your strongest release to date, and I'm looking forward to more. Thank you. And if you're, the, if you're a person who made it through this interview and has not heard the record, you're a psycho. Why would you listen to this interview? Well, check this out, Ian. Uh, this podcast has grown so much that we have a we have a base of people that listen to every episode, okay, no matter okay. who it is. Respect, respect. Well, hopefully they enjoy it. Yes, Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, thank you.
And there you have it. Ian Shelton. Wow. That was a great conversation. I really liked that conversation. Ian is really doing everything. And he's he's just very confident, cool delivery in what he's doing and with the bands. And, you know, Joe, the story of uh, Military Gun was an interesting one because, you know, he's working with his bandmate in Regional Justice Center. He's They're just waiting to go back to take her to a flight. And he's like, oh, let's write some songs while we're waiting. First of all, that dr- that amount of drive is impressive because uh, if I was waiting to take someone back to a flight, I wouldn't be like, hey, let's sit down and write some songs. I'd be like, hey, let's sit here and stare at the wall. But they just started an excellent new band. So he's got Military Gun now who's taking off and he's got Regional Justice Center. He's got it all going on. Yeah. No, the thing I, I think that's so interesting and actually inspiring about what Ian's talking about is... He obviously, you know, is smart enough to work with people that he trusts implicitly. Um, And I think when you are around people that you trust, you know, hopefully any sort of artistic creation you have is going to be a conversation and you're going back and forth and you're exciting each other and you're taking it to another level. And I think that, you know, he's obviously doing that, which is why there's so much enthusiasm behind what he's doing. And that that sort of feeling can be infectious, um, not just to the people he's working with, but to people in the audience. Oh, absolutely. I love his drive. You know, like he, he's he's doing a band, right? He's got Regional Justice Center going on and he's like, oh, I'm just going to move to Los Angeles and kind of stop doing music and pursue filmmaking. And he gets all connected with that down there and then accidentally ends up starting a new band, which is taking off. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just happy for him because uh, the bands are great. He's doing great stuff. I'm really feeling a uh, military gun, too. You know, I saw them for the first time at that show that I was telling Ian about mm-hmm. uh, that they played here in New York city. And look, that's what I like about military gun is, is it's just, it's just rocking, right? It's just good rock music in all the right ways. It's not too emo. It's not too pop punk. It's certainly not too hardcore, mm-hmm. like very high, very high is the song from them that I love. Yeah. It's under two minutes. I think, and I'm, I'm biased obviously, cause it's kind of the world that I'm from, but I, I think rock is having a bit of a, a heyday right now, man. I think that, I think that you know, music obviously comes and goes in trends and fashions, and I think there's there's a place for things that are like very brutal and visceral um, and atonal, um, yeah. and and I've definitely been through phases of that myself. But I think it's also nice to remember when you know melody rocks. Like it's if if there's a melody to it on top of like the the energy behind the music it can be so compelling and i think there's a lot of bands i mean you listen to like dead bars you listen to ways away um who was i just listening to the other day on spotify i was just like listening to different bands that were like they were making me really happy um it's funny that you mentioned ways away i was just that song got caught in my head today i'm not laughing with you yeah man that they they've got it man even 84 tigers like even though they have that sort of small brown bike um, the complexities and the and the the rhythmic structures, they're still bringing in more melody. Um, and I think that that's it's really nice to hear artists do that. I mean, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So great conversation, mm-hmm. Ian. Thank you again for coming on the show. So Joe, yes, let's talk about our favorite subject in the world. Do you know what that is? Um, I'm I'm terrified ourselves. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I've always said, man, this is free therapy, right? I get to. I get to go downstairs in my basement and get a good, nice microphone and talk about myself for a while. 
Yeah, I mean, that's why I love doing this show, because I get to talk to everyone I've looked up to my entire life. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the show, I just get to spill out whatever's going on with me. And it does help. I love just like recording it and throwing it out there and then just letting everybody else deal with it. Absolutely. But Joe, I'm going to start with you because listen, people know what's going on with me. Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot. Okay. But there's a lot going on with you. And well, first... Joe, let, let's let's check in with you personally. How's everything going? How are we feeling? How are we doing? I'm great. You know, um, I feel um, busy, but not busy in a way that's unhealthy. Um, you know, I don't think being busy on its own is particularly interesting. I think it's a little bit boring to just be like, I'm busy, but I'm I'm uh, I fill my time with a lot of creative endeavors that excite me. So in through the through all the drudgery and the laundry and the dishes and the vacuuming and the cleaning and the, you know, the driving people to soccer games and everything. Um, I'm really trying to find joy in the everyday things and also trying to keep my mind focused on as many creative things I can do in any day to make me a better person. I like that. I do the same thing. What's your deal? You're married, right? I'm married. I have eight-year-old twins um, and I own a, a wine shop in Brooklyn that I kind of manage from afar. I also manage a wine shop in Saratoga Springs, New York. Um, and I'm involved with two bands presently, Her Head's on Fire, which are recording a new record actually next week um, with John Agnello, um, who I sort of would be known mostly for like Dinosaur Jr.'s stuff in the 90s, um, Sonic Youth. Uh, he actually did a little record called She's So Unusual by Cyndi Lauper. Um, and I'm really looking forward to working with him. Uh, Judas Knife is just finishing up editing a short film with a soundtrack that will be coming out probably sometime around Halloween. Oh, oh, and I work um, I work with Casey on Iodine Records too. So you're you've got a lot going on, similar to uh, Mr. Shelton from Military. Yeah, Gun. but they're all exciting things, so it's fine. You know what I mean? Like I like my job, I love my family, um, and I love my bandmates and and the art I make and the music I make. So fuck, that's that's pretty cool. Twin eight-year-olds? Yes. Are they identical twins? Nope. One boy, one girl. Wow. Yep. That's got to be intense, right? It is. It certainly is. Um, <laughs> I, You know, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it just, it's fine. It just means I don't sleep a lot, but I mean, that, that's fine. You know? That comes with parenting. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like that's part of the deal. Everything's relative, man. Like, I... I you know, I remember there was one time we took, my wife is from Hawaii originally. And so we flew to Hawaii, which is like some God awful length of time in the plane. And we landed and I had like two screaming children in my arms and like three bags and like a backpack and I hadn't slept and we're going through customs and the guy, you know, sort of watching me go through just comes up to me and he says, Hey man, it's going to be okay. My mom was a single mom of triplets. And I just looked at him and I was just like, I'm like, she's a superhero, dude. I was like, I hope, I hope she never has to pay for her dinner again. I hope you take care of her. And he's like, oh, we take care of her. I'm like, yeah, because that woman shouldn't have to open a door for the rest of her life. <laughs> she's a saint. <laughs> you know, that's amazing. But, you know, it just always, sometimes you just need somebody to come up and give you a little bit of perspective. Like, hey, man, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You got this, you know? Exactly. Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. Well, Joe, there's a other exciting news going on. Garrison. Garrison, my old band from the late 90s. Um, the All the original members, um, Guy Donolfo, Andy White, uh, Ed McNamara, and myself uh, have decided to get together and decided, you know, we had a reissue of the Ben Before the Break last year, which did 
you know, far exceeded our expectations of people digging it, which was great. Um, and we got invited to play fest. Um, and so I said, Hey guys, do you want to do this? And, uh, you know, I think it just took a few moments for people to be like, yeah, you know what, we're all in a good place now let's do it. And so, you know, we decided to have a couple of warm up shows cause it'd be inane to <laughs> not play for 23 years and then suddenly get on stage in Florida. So, um, we booked a show at the Middle East in Boston upstairs, which sold out quickly and it's been moved to downstairs. So there's still tickets available for that. And then the next night we're playing uh, our hometown of Worcester uh, at Ralph's um, diner in Worcester. So that's going to be really fun. We're playing the first night with like Orange Island, which are old buddies. They're doing a reunion show. Pilot Gunner, who I love. Um, they're playing with a Sinaloa um, not bad, not well. Like, so, you know, we're just, it's just going to be a bunch of friends. It's going to basically be the high school reunion that I didn't go to, except I get to see the people I actually want to see. <laughs> I love it. You know? Wait, so this, this lineup of Garrison yeah. that is playing, did I read correctly? This, this lineup hasn't been together in like 20 years, 23 years. We broke up in, well, we didn't break up, but the, the band lost the rhythm section in 2000. So we haven't played together in 23 years. So it's the original. So the rhythm section changed in the stuff that you've done Correct. since that twenty-year mark. Correct. So this is the original. Is this the original lineup? Original lineup playing only songs from Ben Before the Break and A Mile in Cold Water because that incarnation of the band made those two records. Got you. What happened to the rhythm section? They just they they grew up before I did. I don't know. Like they, <laughs> you know, they, they just wanted you know different things, and I think everybody. Early on, you know, you find out pretty quick if you're, if you want to be a touring musician or not. Uh, and a lot of people do not want, to, I mean, they think they do, right? You know, it's, it's especially like in high school, you fantasize about it, but then the actual um, mechanics of it and the sort of day-to-day -day drudgery of it uh, is not for everyone. And that's fine. I don't think it should be for everyone. Um, and so they are, you know, everyone is very successful, wonderful, intelligent, empathetic human beings. And it's so great that we all get to catch up. You know, it's like, I was talking about it with Casey earlier today. It's like, this is kind of the equivalent of like, like, I don't forget how lucky we are. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit of like, you know, the guy that was in the football team that talks about like, hey, remember when I threw that pass against like St. John's back in high school? <laughs> it's kind of like that. Um, but but we're fortunate enough to have a few hundred people want to watch us talk about it, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and And we get to be on stage and play some music that we made a long time ago and have some people enjoy it. I mean, that's that's pretty fortunate. That's really, you can't really can't ask for more than that. Absolutely not. It's an awesome thing. So, all right. So when you get the original lineup of Garrison back together, does that cause any problems with the newer lineup? Are they like, hey, why can't we play these songs? Or is it all understood and we all understand what's no, going on? No, everybody's cool. I think everybody knows that like, you know, that, that that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think anyone has any hard feelings about it. At least not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Once you get to our age, like, I feel like people just kind of understand this stuff, you know? Yeah. You said her heads on fire are recording next week. Yeah. We're making a record next week with John Agnello. Um, and I'm really excited about that. And we've got 14 new songs and that band is kind of like a songwriting machine. So we've actually had the record done for the last six months. We've just been waiting to schedule a time to make it, ah. you know, and, and honestly, I, I guarantee you the week that it's finished, 
the week following, um, I will get a slew of songs um, from Jeff Dean. And he'll be like, here, I wrote another one. Here, check another one. I think he already has like seven more songs written. Oh my God. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in a machine. It's amazing. I wish I could write that fast. I write extremely slow. Well, you know, the thing about it is it's, it's easy on one level because one, it's super collaborative and everybody trusts each other. So the way this band works, which is different from any other band I've, I've worked with, is Jeff writes the songs um, completed on guitar, chord progressions. And he sends it to the drummer. And because, we, you know, they live in Chicago and we live in New York, right? So the drummer interprets it. And maybe he'll say, oh, you know, maybe full time here or like do a halftime thing here. But he doesn't give him too much um, instruction because we all trust Jeff because he's such a good drummer, uh, Genster Bloom, to do his amazing work. And then it comes to me. And then I write the vocals to it. Once I'm done, it goes to Rodrigo, who plays bass. And the bass is added last. And because there's so much implicit trust that the band has with each other. Um, you know, other than once we get everything together, there's some like, Oh, you know, should we shorten that part? Or can you open that part up a little bit? Other than that, like there's no, nobody has anything but positive things to say about what everyone's played. So it seems somewhat effortless. Yeah. I wanted to ask about, uh, how things are recorded in that band, because in that band, you're just the singer. Correct. Is that weird at all? Um, it's great. <laughs> it's great <laughs> because I don't have to worry about like the calculus that my hand might be doing while trying to write vocals. Right. You know, there's a, there's, there's a real freedom. I mean, there's, it's great sometimes to play guitar and sing at the same time because you're locked into it. Right. But there's also a wonderful freedom to sort of just be able to, you know, move air over your vocal cords and go wherever you want to without thinking about the changes because you don't have to, they're just happening and you're riding that wave. At least for me, I'm limited on what I can do vocally while I'm playing guitar. Mm -hmm. I'm not like a Stephen Brodsky where my hand is just completely independent from what's going on vocally. That guy can do anything, but I'm limited in what I'm doing. So uh, to be able to just sing, uh, yeah, it sounds very free. Well, Steve's, Steve's special, man. I mean, he, I don't think any of us can really fathom the amount of time that he would put into practicing. Yeah. You know, I mean, like we weren't, we were acquaintances, you know, we were pals. Um, yeah. And I remember going over his house, um, you know, for a few parties, get togethers. I think it was the time he was living with Travis Shettle um, from Piebald. And I was just a handful of Val and maybe, I don't know, a bunch of folks. Anyway, we would go over, you know, we'll all be sitting down, listening to music, talking in the living room. He would come home from his job. He worked at Bagel Rising. Be like, hey, Steve. And he'd be like, hey, guys. And then he'd go in his room and make music. <laughs> um and you know like he'd be messing around he'd make these four track tapes and he'd like copy a hundred of them and sell them at cave-in shows uh so his discipline even then was phenomenal you know i mean the 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 focus one needs to have at that age in your early 20s he might have been 19 for all i know um is pretty great. Yeah, I, I really respect that mm -hmm. because when i was younger well pretty quickly it became a getting fucked up that was the main priority mm -hmm. and then i would fit the band in around that so for someone to be that young and have that much discipline well obviously it really shows in steve but uh i'm i respect that yeah me too i think i think it's a really cool quality um and obviously it served him well i'm yeah look at what he's done well joe look at everything you've done i mean come on what are we doing here i'm i'm excited about these garrison shows i just wish they were closer to new york because uh i, I would go no sorry um, you know, that that's the thing about 
you know, reunion shows in general is, is on one level, you have to work out everybody's, I mean, this isn't like, you know, we're not reuniting like a band, like slow dive is reuniting and like actually making money at it. You know, we're just doing it for fun. So it has to work around everyone's schedule and everyone's family. And, um, and so there's only so much time that can be dedicated to it. You know, we can't be like, Oh, let's go on the road for two months because we just don't have the freedom to do that, nor really the desire. You know, I think, uh, I think two shows, uh, in New England and one show at Fest. And I think we'll be like, that was great. See you in another 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time Garrison actually played? This incarnation of Garrison played, um, the last show was at 5 Malbert Street in Boston. It was a house party at a woman named Giordana. Um, and it got broken up by the police on during our last song. When was that? Uh, I want to say 2000, summer of 2000. Oh, maybe, really? maybe, maybe autumn of 2000, maybe it was a little bit colder in Boston. When, uh, when is the last time a incarnation of Garrison played? Like the newer one? What, 2003 was the last show. And then we did, um, we did a reunion show in 2012, um, because it was like the big revelation reunion, um, which we weren't invited to. Um, really? But yeah, but that's okay. Um, and our on the Mighty Princes, who were pals of ours, were playing Saint Vitus, and they they asked us to open. So we got together and learned a few songs. And I think we did one other Game Face and Boy Sets Fire were coming to Boston, and they asked us to play with them. Or no, no, oh. Restorations, Game Face, Boy Sets Fire, Restorations, maybe. Sounds about right. Yeah, I think so. Anyways, yeah, so we did that, but that that was 2015, I think. And that was, so that was the last time, but that this incarnation hasn't played for a very long time. Why wouldn't Garrison be asked to play Rev 25? I mean, come on, what are we doing? I don't, you know, I mean, things with Jordan and Revelation are totally fine now, but they didn't end well. And I don't think anyone um, really wanted to see the sequel uh, back in 2012. And I, I don't begrudge them for not inviting us. Um, I don't think I would have played had we been invited. Um, because things just didn't end well. Um, uh, there's no need for me to go into the particulars, but again, they're fine now. Um, oh, so there was yeah. things. There were things. There's things. There's stuff and things. That's yeah. that's really nobody's business other than than you know Jordan and I. But so yeah, I'm just trying to stir up things here for the enjoyment of the audience. That's yeah. all. Yeah. So some, I mean, to quote a, an early piebald EP, sometimes friends fight. Hey, you know, it happens. There. It happens, so, but it's okay now, right? Everything's fine now. That Garrison show that you played uh, with on the Might of Princes, was that the St. Vitus show where Texas is the Reason ended up playing late at night? Yeah. Yep. No, that was maybe the next night. Oh, okay. But I was there for both of them, so it feels like the same night for me. Nice. Yep. I had just moved here, so I didn't know about St. Vitus yet, but hey. They were great. They, you know, I, I always um, enjoyed Texas. I thought they were good, but... They played that, and then the last time I saw them play, they played Maxwell's, and those two shows, they were really good. I mean, maybe they were just so exhausted that they were a little bit looser at the St. Vitus show, because it was so late, and they'd played, you know, Irving Plaza earlier. But, um, yeah, it didn't have, like, the trappings. Like, they could kind of be themselves a little bit more and just be in the zone, and those shows were phenomenal. I was at that Maxwell's show. Oh, no way. Yeah. That was a great show. I'm glad I made it to that one. That was a really, really cool show. Um, yeah, I just remember that was, there was a lot of positivity in the room that night. That was a really fun show. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I made it to that one. I barely made it because, you know, 
I got really high the night before and mm-hmm. I was like sick at work and it was like a really bad day, but I made it made because it. it's Texas is the reason. I mean, come on. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's it. That's it. Another blockbuster show for everybody. And listen, everybody, I'm doing fine. Everything's going good. There, there's not much going on with me. It's just podcast and bands lately. Uh, the Darling Fire, we're working on stuff and I'm still working on the other band. It's getting closer. I haven't talked about it in a long time because we weren't playing and I wasn't sure if it was going to be a thing, but I'm hoping that band plays its first show uh, this fall. What do you think of that, Joe? Hmm? Uh, I think it sounds great. New band with me uh, singing and playing guitar. Isn't that crazy? Really? Yeah. I've never heard you sing. I I mean, come on. It's it's going to be something. That sounds awesome. I'll be there. All right, good. I'm going to tell you when it happens. You you know what? You can scout it out. What do you think? Like uh, iodine recordings, seven inch with uh, Keith's new band. Hmm? I don't I don't see why not. I mean, I make zero percent of those decisions, so I'm going to say yeah. Oh, psh, all right, we're going to take this back to the boss man, <laughs> and we're going to see what he says, and we're going to get it done. I'm laying the groundwork right now, Joe. Keep keep it up. Keep just hammering away, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, listen, it's great to have you back. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you so much, Keith. Take care. Yes, and that's it. That's it, everybody. We are out of time, but we are going to end the show. Hey, Joe, what's your favorite Garrison song? Oh. Um, I can tell you my favorite part of a Garrison song. Go for it. Untitled, which is the last song on our first EP. In the middle eight, there's a a major climb. And I think what the guitars are doing and the bass over what Guy is doing on the drums is the most, that like 10 seconds is the most beautiful music that we have recorded, in my opinion. I love it. And guess what? That's what we're ending the show with. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks everybody for listening. And until next time. 